Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. I'm continuing the series of Elevation and today I've got George Vu on the show. George describes himself as a purpose-driven entrepreneur. Uh, he is the founder of The Mighty Kitchen and Startup 60 and the former co-founder of Funafi and Ad Jelly. He's held international FMCG marketing roles, contributed as a writer to the Huffington Post and been invited to share his thoughts on his own TEDx talk. He's worked with early stage startups and acted as an advisory board member to SXX. SXSW Startup Accelerator, Founders Institute, and helped found Startup Academy. As an entrepreneur, he continues to dedicate time to meaningful projects that drive him to create a better environment for those around him. So welcome, George. Thank you for being part of Unplug with Annie. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And I've, I've obviously spoken about you a little bit already, but if you can tell us about what Mighty Kitchen is about and Startup 60 and give us some, some more information about what you're doing. Yeah, okay, so like a quick run through of both, I guess. Um, the Mighty Kitchen is the main kind of body of work that, that we're working on right now that I'm working on as well. And so that's a, a food tech startup where we're focused on making plant-based meat, so it's chicken specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and that really kind of aligns a lot with where we see like the future of the space going. And I think at the moment, the, the way that with everything going on, everyone's kind of picking an area where they want to kind of attach their like altruism to in a way. And for me, it's, um, I think, because of the sustainability element of, of meat production, because of some of the other factors, environmental, like water land usage, I think this is an area that, that we can do a lot in. Mm -hmm. And so kind of grabbing a little bit of my previous startup background and applying it to a space which I, at the beginning, knew nothing about, but fascinates me. And so like learning all the time. And, and kind of weaving into that then, so Startup 60 is my... I was going to say my passion project, but like both are my kind of intense passion projects. And so Startup 60 is something that it's kind of spawned into something itself where I really enjoy when I, whenever I get invited out to schools or unis or even corporates or wherever to talk about startups and entrepreneurship and how someone goes about building a company, what to do with an idea and all this stuff. And I thought I want to turn that into something a bit more structured. Um, and so Startup 60 is actually, it's not out yet. Next month it will be launching. It's an online course um, pitched as a kind of mini accelerator. So the, the deal is you get to know everything you need to know about starting a startup in 60 minutes. But the disclaimer is that you don't actually start a business in 60 minutes. I mean, that takes a lot of work. So I don't want anyone to think that that's what we're trying to sell here. But yeah, so... It's a structured course, which will then weave into like, uh, again, that when we go out and speak and when I go out and speak to all the places I enjoy doing so far, I'd be able to go there now with uh, a bit more structure and, and somewhere to direct people to if they want to find out more. Okay. That, I mean, yeah, that sounds great because I think the purpose of me also doing this elevation series was to, to get people on who have that kind of knowledge and who can share that with other people who might be. Mm starting a startup so that sounds yeah. really interesting um so are you are you personally vegan i i am now yeah oh, now I'm as in 
like five years, uh, gave up meat. For a couple of years, I was vegetarian. And about, yeah, two and a half, three years ago, vegan as well. Okay. So I, I know that you've spoken on TEDx about how we need to make um, better choices, better sustainable food choices for the future. Yeah. Um, and, and do you think that overall, as a population, we are moving towards this less meat eating generation? Um, and is that because, because it, of course, it is suddenly a lot more popular. We're reading a lot more about it. Um, yeah. There's more information. It's accessible, and I think more products are accessible. But is it is it primarily because of that popularity or trend, or is it because it's really backed by scientific evidence saying that we need to eat less meat because it's better for us? Yeah, I, I think I'm strong because I think you just gave all of my answer. And <laughs> okay, so so it is because. I think popularity is what's driving people to check it out. I mean, because it, it, if it doesn't, it, it's, it's rarely, I mean, with anything new, uh, it's rarely kind of, I think, an introspective process, which kind of, it, it happens, but it's, it's rare. And I think, because I, I have also younger cousins and I have a niece as well who's 13 who stopped eating meat last year. And, and I said, why? And she said, just because I like animals, you know? And, and it's that kind of simplicity of thought in a way that's also getting us to, to check things out. And, and I think the education part's really important, though, because we're seeing a lot of people try, dabble, you know, like stop a few meat meals a week or cut it out completely. And then you also see some people kind of go back because it hasn't been well thought out. So mm -hmm. I think as and I don't mean that as a stance against the, the individuals. It's awesome that they're, they're trying it out. It's just sometimes that because I think maybe the infrastructure, like you said, there's more products now on the market and depending on your geographical locations, um, what you switch in is as important as what you switch out. So if you're used to having a certain texture and taste, and then maybe it's like, you know, we're talking like for us as well with plant-based chicken, we want to have a product there where someone can switch out the chicken breast, switch in ours. And it's the same protein and it's the same goodness and it's, the, you know, everything's kind of the same apart from the fact that ours is made from plants and, and that's come from, let's say, an animal which needs, and, and something you mentioned, the TED Talk as well, we say, like, I think the most, um, the, the most sustainable kind of meat produced is, is chicken meat. And even that's like, it uses over 10 times more land and water than any kind of commercially produced plant. Um, protein plant, so lentils and peas and so on. So, yeah, th there's there's a trend pushing it in that direction. But I definitely think it's something that's like it's here to stay. Geographically, there'll be differences. Um, you know, I just, you can tell, I guess, by the accent. I I grew up in the UK. I was born and, and grew up in the UK. My heritage is Eastern Mediterranean and Cyprus specifically, and so. Here I kind of come from the background of where I, I talk to my, my grandpa, my, my grandma and I still love her, and we talk about back then, 50, 60 years ago. And she says they used to eat meat once a month. They used to eat fish two, three times a month. They used to have a little bit of dairy, a little bit of egg. But it was, it was definitely not the breakfast, lunch and dinner thing that you have now. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I think we are moving in that direction. And yeah. it's a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think you said something interesting that it, it, it has to sort of be done the right way when you're making that transition, because I know that I sort of I tampered with it 
one mm. for a couple of weeks but i think i just suddenly was trying to replace that protein content with a lot of tofu and yeah, yeah. maybe just had too much of it and then sort of got yeah. an upset stomach because of it and then just realized yeah. that i don't know if i'm doing this the right way yeah i see um, some people switch just like that and maybe because they prepared themselves they know i mean personally i i cut out even the first two months i cut out um i i reduced my meat intake to two meals a week for two months and then i cut out just meat for six months then mm -hmm. fish for six months then you know every time every six months i cut out one of the you know yeah. one of the animal-based group and for me it felt like a really easy transition and i'm not saying that's right for everyone but it seemed to work well for me and and slowly kind of everyone around me i mean family um, quite a few friends as well i think that's the popularity thing as well like you said if you see someone do it that's next to you you say okay mm -hmm. if he can do it why can't i do it and True. it has that impact yeah True. and you so you said you work with a lot of um early stage startups as well um yeah. what, what do you find to be like the common factor in, in startups i'm not sure how how far you follow it through but i know that you might be now with startup 60 and taking people on board um yeah. but but what do you feel the common denominator is um, enabling them to sort of go from from being a startup and then succeeding and or you know failing and the ones uh, who are succeeding is there specific things that they're doing right comparatively yeah I can tell you from from ones that I've worked with as well and from my own previous journey because because I think every time I, I've kind of set out to start a startup over the last seven eight years this is I mean yeah, Mighty Kitchen is my fourth in the last seven, eight years. And, and every time you learn something new and then you look back and think, uh, what an idiot I was for doing things that way. And, and it's a retrospective learning process. And I think that's one of the big, one of the big skills is being able to absorb new information mm -hmm. and to not be too like headstrong, um, you know, and precious in a way with the, with the idea that you have. And, and so what we talk about super early stage, and I think it's really helpful is, um, and something that I was a little bit, I guess, against right at the beginning, because I came also from, I was entrepreneurial when I was younger, then I went into corporate and kind of started progressing in that direction. And I had this idea that when something's right, something's right, when your boss says something's right, it's right, you know, and you go ahead with it. But um, with, the, with startups at the beginning, what you really have to go through, I think, is take um, take your, well, sorry, the right way to do it is find a problem, find a true problem that exists and then build a product to solve that problem. Whereas mm -hmm. what we do 90% of the time is the other way around. So we think I have this amazing idea for whatever. And then even then it's okay. I mean, that's, that's normal. I mean, that's like uh, who we are as people. We think of these amazing things we want to build. But then once we have that, what we should do in theory is go and see if that solution is solving a, a problem. If yeah. we're not going to build it from the ground up, at least once we have that second stage to see if it fits somewhere. And yeah, we do. Usually the, the guys I've worked with, especially recently, have been a little bit past that. So they've established, um, you know, some kind of product market fit. So seeing that there is a problem, that they are building a solution for it and that their people exist who are willing to pay for it or who actually have started committing in some kind of way, whether that's signing up to use the app, whether that's paying 
early for a product which isn't out yet and mm -hmm. so on and so yeah like there's a lot of ways to do it i think the the key skills again are um i, I think the ones who really make it are persistent mm -hmm. i mean there's no way around that that's not to say you just keep going irrespective of what the market's telling you because another skill is to be able to, to process the information you're getting. But yeah, the, the, ones who, the ones who are adaptive, persistent, and really nail down um, a solution for an existing problem, mm -hmm. they seem to have the best luck. And that's not, I might say something now, someone might be listening to this and say that, but we didn't do it like that and we succeeded. And that's amazing. You know, it's just, there's no absolute blueprint and, and we shouldn't always try to fit into an ideal way of doing it. These are just like, generally speaking, they seem to have not only with people that I've worked with, but it's the advice you get from the YCs and the 500 startups and stuff. And the guys know what they're doing mm. as well. So, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and what would your take be on, on social media um, as, as a business now? Because there's some people who actually, uh, you know, argue that, you you just can't do it without social media now it, it's crucial you know your you your audience reach is much larger um but do you do, do you feel that um, a business can grow organically without without social media or is it much harder yeah i think the question is why would you why wouldn't you use like you know one of the the greatest outreach tools i think that that we have um and I think actually, I also, also know an answer to that. And, and I think that when, I think when you can't be authentic, like if you, as a business, when it's just, you know, a single person, couple of people start up, it's easier for your authentic voice to come through. So you sit down with your co-founder, you say, okay, what do we represent? What does our brand represent? This is the, the kind of narrative we look to maintain. These are the types of posts that we post. Um, I think it's harder for some of the existing companies to translate that into something which is uh, authentic and, and, and engaging because that's the key here. I know we were, you know, we, when social media first started coming out there, people were talking about reach and likes. And obviously these, these are metrics which are only kind of gateway metrics to the real stuff, which is engagement um, and how an and, and engagement again, isn't just a like or a, single comment someone who's trying to build up their profile it's it's real kind of content that's going out there and i don't know if there are people doing amazing jobs with it but i don't know how seriously some of the established guys take it um and i think it's a missed opportunity uh, for sure it's it, it can yeah like you said it like you asked i guess it can be done yeah i'm sure it can be done but why would you not use one of the greatest tools ever available to businesses? True. History. True. But I guess it does need to be utilized in the correct way because like you said, a lot of people think it is just about the likes and the odd comments. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and just consistency in what you put. And I think that I see companies as well who I think are playing to their strengths in that they know that they can't, you know, do the daily post, which is engaging and it's great and people love it and they comment. But, and so they stick to basics. You know, they'll post a product picture once a week and wish everyone like a good weekend or something. It's fine. It's a presence. It's not going to be what like boost your sales by 20%, but mm -hmm. at least ra rather than being messy, I would say like, you know, play to your strengths. Yeah. But adding to that, 
I mean, it's an area that you just, I would severely advise, seriously advise people to invest in mm. uh, and to do it well, because it's still not being done so well. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I'm having like this mental like cycle going around in my head because like I have a lot more to say about this, but I think we'll be here forever. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely, I think the audience can definitely get in touch directly with you yeah. if they want, if they want more advice um, on all of this. Um, but going, going a bit back to the food talk, we all obviously mm -hmm. want to live long, healthy lives. There's so many diets out there and it just gets really confusing because there's just so much information now on the internet as well. And yep. obviously one of these decisions is then now, you know, going plant-based or not, or perhaps reducing the amount of meat we eat. But um, th there's also a lot of different methods and, and suddenly there's, you know, like intermittent fasting, for example, has become super popular. Yep. Um, I have been working out in India on and off um, recently and, and keto suddenly has become like this huge thing in India, which was quite big in the UK years ago um so you're seeing all these different kind of um again i don't know if it's a popularity thing but different methods i guess of eating and different advice as to what is good for us um yeah. what would your take be on on all of this well um <laughs> yeah i think that so diets come and go um we've seen I've seen this person over the last like 20 years or so. There's been at least four or five dominant diets at any once. And, and dominant, I guess, in, in the public sphere, dominant, because the majority of people just eat how they used to eat. They, they, like you said before, they dabble, they try something new for a bit. And then if it's not resonating or if they're not able to, to keep it up, they don't. Mm. Um, I think this will always be the case. There'll always be stuff that gets hot really quickly. Some of it will fizzle out. Some of it will stay. I mean, so, some of the principles of even like some of the fad stuff that's around, it's like some of it's quite decent. I mean, the pretext of it is like yeah. eat clean, even with paleo and keto. Like they say, they talk about eating cleaner foods, um, not so much processed stuff and, and all this, which, which is good. It's good habits. Mm. Um, I just think when, when I bring it back again to the, let's say like to the plant-based thing is that there are overwhelming bodies of evidence and, and now long-term studies as well which have been done which are coming to light which are kind of saying and and the way when when they look as well at some of the older cultures and and what they used to eat sure there there isn't um to the best of my knowledge anyway a completely vegan culture let's say that yeah. they've managed to study for the last 30 40 50 years but even like people like the okinawans in, in japan they predominantly plant-based with a little bit of fish here and there. Um, like I said, the old Mediterranean diets, minimalized animal intake. It's not that so separating the two, um, you know, the, the movement from the diet, let's say it's possible. I mean, I don't think a lot of people say that it's not possible to be healthy and mm -hmm. eat some animal products. I mean, I'm yeah. going to get killed for this. <laughs> by one but it, but it's true. I mean, that's not what we're, we're not saying that we're saying that all those nutrients are available over here as well. Yeah. And seeing as it's more sustainable in the sense that there's less land needed to produce, there's less resources overall, less water, um, much lower, uh, yeah, much lower CO2 emissions and so on. So it's like, it becomes the question of what we're trying to flip it around to know is like, why not? Yeah. I mean, everything's available here plus these added benefits. 
And of course, there's always fringe cases. We know like there's, there's people who maybe won't be able to and so on. But to the best of our knowledge and with the data available, it's not the case for the huge majority. So yeah, it comes back to your question before, I guess, where do I think it's going? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to this question right now with a filter of where I, I foresee kind of the future going. And so, yeah, there'll always be cycles, but I think predominant uh, diet and lifestyle looking into the next 20, 30 years will be plant-based. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people also do do argue that you know they would like to do it, but it also works out more expensive. It's you know it's it's um, compared to yeah, otherwise choosing to eat meat and having all these other options that are easily available on the market and much cheaper to buy. Um, do you think that's going to change over time? That it is going to become like more affordable for everyone, for the masses, if you like. Yeah, I think that's that kind of applies only if you're eating quinoa and avocado every day. I mean, it's yeah. otherwise. And I get what you're saying um, yeah. because again, it comes back to the it comes back to this idea of if you're just trying to flip out. For example, I'm not saying someone's having chicken nuggets every day, but if you flip out a chicken nugget for a plant-based nugget right now, maybe actually in the UK that they're, they're, they're coming yeah. neck and neck, but yeah. like in a lot of other countries in Europe, the, the you're paying a premium still yeah. for, for the plant-based nugget, which shouldn't be the case because it costs yeah. essentially less to produce, but on scale, and this is where your question comes in, I think as demand rises, mm. then we'll be able to get the prices on, on a mass kind of level that we're getting for some of the meat products. And, and there's other factors in there as well. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of subsidies at the moment as well going out for um, yeah, for agricultural purposes, mainly around like the meat industry. And so you're able to knock off and offset some of your costs there. And, and that's helping the final product mm. um, come out. But I think there's, a, I think it's a combination, right, of like we've already said, I guess, about as the consumer gets more uh, and educated, I don't mean this demeaning, I mean, like educated as in, I know a certain amount of recipes right now, and it's what I cook and produce every day. When I start to read more, I get to know more things that are possible and more nutritional combinations which are possible. Mm -hmm. So I think they'll, they'll be, I, I just, yeah, I don't think it is, it doesn't cost me more now than it, than it used to at all. Uh, I would even say it's like considerably less, um, but it depends what you're eating as yeah. well. Um, so it's hard to kind of make that crossover. And for sure there is stuff which, because people ask me this as well when they say about sustainability and they said, what about, you know, the people of Bolivia and Peru, they want to eat quinoa now and you're eating all their quinoa. And I was saying like, they're exporting, like I, I would love for it to stay there and I'm fine with, I mean, I have um, like lentils with brown rice. I'm still good. I still get all my essential aminos. I don't need the, I like it sometimes, but yeah. um, there's definitely, so, so one thing as well I want to say here, there's this argument, I think, where we we naturally do it, I think, as humans, where we, we say, like, the what if. So we, we're talking about one thing, and then we jump to the next. And, and I think it's important for everyone, and I mean this, like, in a positive way. It's like, if we're making positive steps in, in the right direction, then I think that's great, even if they're small steps. I mean, a friend of mine came last week and said, I stopped eating red meat. And I was like, that's amazing. You know, and he said, yeah, but I only used to eat, and he was retrospecting, he was like, I only used to eat once every two weeks. I said, man, if you multiply, you know, twice a month, 24 times a year, 
you know, you do that by your lifetime. If you stick to it, that's amazing. It's a huge difference. So yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. True, true. And, yeah. and just going a bit like back to entrepreneurship and, and that space, um, you know. I'm sorry, by the way, stop me if I babble too much because like, I'm <laughs> also weaving in and out of the conversation here. So. No, yeah. that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, go, going back to entrepreneurship a little bit uh, because of social media as well and, and, and the fact that everyone is on it today, I feel like. Uh, this this idea of, of you being your own boss and and starting a startup yeah. and this has just become it's become pretty glamorous you know there's a lot of accounts which are depicting it in a very glamorous way and of course everyone wants that financial freedom and yeah. um, I can see where the attraction is for sure but um, definitely I think can be deceiving to a viewer um, because you just you're, you're just exposed to all the good things as opposed to you know a lot a, a lot of the other side which I'm, I'm sure is definitely facing a lot of trials um but what what advice would you generally give to like budding entrepreneurs in in terms of the, the reality of starting a startup because I, I guess it's um it's a slow game right yeah it's hard um so I really like Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. and the way he talks about entrepreneurship yeah. Uh, and he just says, man, it's, it's hard. And it's true. I mean, anyone, he, he actually had, I saw a little video of his the other day and, and somebody asked him along the, I can't remember exactly, but along the lines of, um, I basically want to have my own business and I want to be on a beach all day. Uh, and, oh, yes. and he said, those two things are not compatible because oh. this idea, this illusion of, so the only way, and he said it actually as well, the only way you get that is if you have real estate or something that's, that's completely passive. You know, it's like I, I invest, rent's coming in, I have someone managing the property, it's paying itself, and I get a check at the end of the month or a bank transfer, or whatever, let's be relevant. And, <laughs> and right, and so it's just crazy hard. There's no, um, there's no shortcuts, it's all on you. The responsibility's greater, the workload's greater, you start becoming responsible for people after a while, the, the, the better you get the more stuff you have to deal with. And so, and I don't want to be the opposite side of this and just say, just don't do it because, <laughs> but you have to be, it, it's a culture shock for people who get into this process when they're, you know, following Instagram accounts of some dude with a Ferrari, just cruising around the neighborhood before he goes to the beach and does two hours on his, you know, on his business and, you know, packs it in for the rest of the day because he's flying out to Vegas or whatever. That is, it's just like not yeah. the case. There's cool stuff in that you get to meet really cool people who are similarly driven, similarly focused. Um, yeah, have that, usually that same kind of mindset of want to do big things and that's positive, but you also need to use those people as like your, your sounding board. Uh, and if you can connect with, with as many people in a similar situation to you, it, it's, it's healthy because it's also a lonely game. Um, yeah. And I had in previous startups, I started with uh, the same two guys and we started from day one together and it was hard, but it was, it was really like it was a shared journey. So when one was down, the other two were up, or one was up, the other two were down. So you were able to really have people there all the time. And, and for the first seven, eight months of The Mighty Kitchen, I started by myself because I hadn't found a co-founder. But I thought, personally, I, I learned better through making mistakes. 
so I did, I did my research, I read in, and then if I didn't dive in when I did um, and worked with a consultant at the beginning until I brought myself up to speed, I would have delayed. It's just me personally. I, I felt the best way for me to do it was to dive in. Um, there are a lot of times when I, I just sat there and thought, why, the, you know, why are you doing this to yourself in a way? And, and that attaches to the other really important thing of, is having a really big why. So if, you're, yeah. if your why is, I want to get rich, then you'll probably find another way to get rich. I mean, that's cool, but you'll find another way and it will deflect from the work that you're doing. If your why is something bigger than that, and it's because you want to change, like completely change, like the food production system right now, or because, you know, you had nothing when you were growing up and you want to provide for your mom or whatever, whatever that why is, if, it, if it's big enough for you, then you'll never be worn out. You'll always find a way to push past that and make something happen. So, yeah, yeah. not glamorous. Yeah. Um, it can be at the end, you know, yeah. <laughs> five, you to, five to seven years. <laughs> it, yeah. Get that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So find your why. I think that's, that's a great, that's, that's a key, a key point. So yeah. just, to, just to sort of wrap things up a little bit, I've, I've just got a few sort of rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, one being, what would you, given the choice, what would you like to see change in the food industry? Oof, one thing. <laughs> There's so many things, but yeah. I would, okay, so, so I think an easy, uh, it would be a huge change, but it would be easy, I mean, on the, because I always think of this about how the consumer will receive it, because the biggest issue is that, I mean, as long as people want something, it will happen. Mm. Um, I'd like some of these kind of, trace like the undetectable materials um to be switched out so things like gelatin yeah i mean no one really goes i really want gelatin in my gummy bears or whatever and there are plant-based alternatives and there is a really cool company actually now called Geltor, which are making gelatin from scratch um with uh i can't remember how they're doing it exactly but it's it's cell based i think anyway don't quote me on that but there, there are alternatives now in in the market so where it doesn't really impact the consumer um, but it does impact the production and the animal itself i'd love to see these kind of changes on mass to these kinds of products okay wow that's yeah. interesting okay and another thing that i really like to ask everyone that i've i've got on the podcast is one thing that they do every day for their mental health because i think mental health is like a topic i'm really passionate about yeah. and um considering there's the sort of rise in 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 like the awareness on mental health is there mm. something that you do uh, sort of religiously every day um for that mm. peace of mind yeah so i i meditate yeah. Um, and I also have this other process, which is I've, I've dabbled in a lot of, well, read up on quite a few different methodologies and realized there's always some really common crossover points. So like the gratitude exercise, the stillness of the mind, you know, these kind of things. And, and for me, as long as I get up, so my keystone kind of habit is waking up at a certain time. Yeah. Um, as long as I do that then things seem to go well yeah uh, and then the first thing that I do after you know having a couple of glasses of water washing my face in the morning is I sit down to do like I go into meditation but I do a 10 minute kind of uh recap which is like, I call it like a health exercise 
Mm. So it's like a, a visualization exercise focused around health for myself and others around me. So like mm -hmm. my, me and family and friends. Yeah. And yeah, it kind of grounds me, makes me feel good. And then move into, yeah, like about another 15, 20 minutes of, of meditation. Wow. Yeah, that's great. It's something I've just recently started, but I, I definitely like feel the benefits of doing that. Um, yeah. I wish I started sooner, actually. But yeah. <laughs> um, and this isn't because people are going to hear this as well. This isn't to make anybody feel like shit if they don't yeah. do that. Because I always I hear these things. And when I went to say about the wake up is I'm not I don't always nail it. And yeah. you hear these things about these guys, the most successful people in the world wake up at three in the morning and they do this and people start stressing because they're not doing yeah. that stuff. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's <laughs> you have to find your own path and it'll be fine. Yeah, as long as you feel better from what you're doing. then yeah. It's true. It's true for sure. And last but not least, um, complete the sentence. You love being an entrepreneur because... It allows me to focus my energy into places that, that I want it to go. I guess. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on Unplug with Annie and uh, it was great talking to you and chatting to you. Yeah. Thanks. It's been really, really good. Actually. I think we, yeah, we, we jumped into a few places that are quite interesting maybe for follow on conversations as well. Yeah, for sure. And anybody who has any questions for George, please reach out. I will be tagging him in, in, in the material that I post. And yeah, have, have an amazing day. And, and Thank sure you. We'll, keep, we'll keep in touch. And good luck with Startup 60 as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we'll chat soon. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. And that was the end of another episode on the Elevation series. I'm super excited about next Sunday. Do stay tuned. And for all updates regarding the podcast Unplug with Annie, do follow and like the page Unplug with Annie on Instagram and Facebook. We're now on 10 platforms, including Spotify, Anchor and iTunes.